Hello, friends, and welcome back to the intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalle, a.k.a. MDV, and I'm joined today on the show by NC Fit-sponsored athlete, Natalie Allport. Natalie is a lifelong athlete and entrepreneur, and she's a former Canadian national team snowboarder, so you know she was amazing on the mountain. She's a multi-time CrossFit regionals athlete, and she's got a host of other things going on, including being the host of a podcast called The All In Podcast with Natalie Allport. She's also the founder of 93 Agency, a brand building company aimed at helping athletes, coaches, and entrepreneurs make their mark on social media. Natalie is an all-around stud, and today's combo covers everything from dealing with an almost career-ending injury to how to manage the pressure of social media. Natalie is out there every single day creating engaging and lively content through her social media channel on Instagram, at Natalie Allport. I am doing the same on Instagram, and if you haven't given me a follow just yet, I would appreciate it, at MDV underscore FIT. If you're a coach, an athlete, or an owner, I am talking directly to you almost every single day. The other thing I would really appreciate is if you are interested in coffee, and I know a lot of my listeners are, I recently launched a coffee company. This is my company, Start to Finish, from tasting the beans to testing the beans all the way to packaging the beans. It's called Last Port Coffee Company. You can find us at www.lastportcoffee.com. We have four amazing roasts. You will not be disappointed. I'm a lifelong coffee drinker, and this is some of the best stuff I've ever had. So without further delay, grab a notebook, grab a chair, and let's learn a thing or two from Natalie Allport. Let's go. All right, and welcome back to the intro. Your host, MDV, here. I'm very excited to sit down today with somebody who I got to know more recently through our work at NC Fit. She's an absolute stud. She's an athlete. She's a former Team Canada snowboard athlete. She's the host of the All In Project, the founder of 93 Agency, a consulting company helping other influencers work on their content and their brand strategy. She's a mental health advocate. She's a TEDx speaker. The list is as long as my arm. Natalie Allport, welcome to the intro. Hey, thank you. Excited to chat. Yeah, I'm super excited to chat with you. So you recently came on the team here at NC Fit as as an athlete who uses our workouts to support their training. And uh, why don't we just start there? Tell us about what your experience has been with some of the NC Fit workouts so far. Yeah, yeah, it's been really good for me because I mean, like like you said, uh, snowboard athlete. So um, I, I trained for that a ton, obviously, when I was younger. Um, it's been 2015 was when I decided to make the decision to step away from that mm. sport. Um, and that's when I dove into CrossFit. And so I really just dove in straight into competing in CrossFit. And so at the time, <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've worked with, you know, many different coaches, um, programs, different things. And then in 20, so 2019, I competed at a couple of sanctionals, both on teams as individual. Uh-huh. Um, and then I got in a motorbike crash. So I, I was in Bali after, uh, I was competing at the Asia CrossFit Invitational and smashed up my shoulder and just thought it was like an AC joint thing. So I thought it was just something pretty mellow. Like I've done that snowboarding landing on it. Um, and so I was like, you know what, mentally I was burning out from training, managing the business. Things were like, I was at the height of my training. I was at the height of business. Things were just like so crazy with life, everything, Um, and so I was like, this is a good break. Like I can focus on like maybe spending some more time with family doing things. And then when my shoulder's better, I'll get back to competing. And then my shoulder just didn't get better. And, uh, turns out it was, unfortunately it was misdiagnosed. Um, so I'm going through the whole process now of 
still have an MRI to, to go through to confirm what we think it is. But um, yeah, still definitely on the, the road back because I, I definitely want to compete. Um, and I don't think that it's been time wasted. But what's been really cool for me is in those two years, I kind of, you know, I stopped with the coach I was working with. I stopped with a lot of those things so that I could spend more energy and time on like, let me mentally recover from having spent my entire life competing in something, um, focus on business, family, all these different things. And so then it was great timing when I heard about NC Fit mm. and, and got involved because as I was starting to ramp up my training, I was like, okay, perfect. These are things I can do and modify around my shoulder. There's always, you know, a way that you can modify stuff. A lot of things I do with one arm or um, I'll do lower body or I'll switch movements. Mm-hmm. And it makes me feel also like with this pandemic, we've been so isolated and like our gyms only just opened like a month ago here. Yeah, so yeah. they've been closed for so long. I've been just disconnected from community and so it's been cool to also with nc fit just have a community and people to stay in touch with um and just be part of something that's different because i followed such individualized programming for so long mm-hmm. so it's really helped me with with that the crossfit programming side of things and then i still do some endurance stuff and obviously some shoulder recovery stuff on top but it's been really good well that's good to hear and you're in ottawa canada right yes yeah and 2015 was the year that you said that you walked away from competitive snowboarding. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the competitive snowboarding in Canada is probably pretty damn competitive. I'm I'm guessing that there is a very high level of skill that you need to be involved in that sport based on Canada's a winter sport country. Um, Tell me a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up playing every sport. Hockey is like the Canadian sport, right? Yeah. And so I actually, that's what I grew up in. And it's a little bit of a different background actually as a snowboarder. So I kind of went like hockey, snowboarding, CrossFit, like total different route in my sport journey. But um, I grew up just, I got interested in skateboarding for some reason. Um, when I was younger, I thought it was cool. And so then all of a sudden, you know, my family were into skiing and I one day decided to switch for a snowboard. And so I just really enjoyed it and and never looked back and, um, started taking up snowboarding, started trying to compete in it. And then, like you said, yeah, Canada is kind of a powerhouse in, in snowboarding we have. Um, so a lot of the guys that I snowboarded with, they're still part of the national team now, and they've, they've won X games medals and all these things. And they, we can only send four guys to the Olympics and I think in the last past few Olympics, we've only been able to send two women just based on how many we've qualified, Mm. but four is like the max. They, we have like six guys that could easily have a medal potential at the Olympics. And I feel so bad for them because you can only send, you know, a max of, of four, unfortunately at that competition. Luckily there's other competitions like X games and those that more of them can get invited to, but, um, yeah, I, I, where I live is not, there's no, no mountains. Um, so more so like when you told me you live in near the Vancouver, uh, U S area, Vancouver, BC is where I spent a lot of time, uh, growing up our national team training center is in Whistler. So just two hours North. And so I spent a ton of time on a plane going back and forth out Mm -hmm. West. Thankfully I have a ton of family. I was actually born out there. So we have a lot of family. So I was able to get, you know, airport rides and all those things. Um, but yeah, it was a really, really fun journey. It was really great to, uh, snowboard basically for a living for, four seasons, four years. Unfortunately, I missed out on the 2014 Olympics um, and then dealt with a ton, ton of injury. Like snowboarding is, is a big sport for injury, whether it's concussions, I broke my tailbone, ribs, wrist, ankle, like you name it. Uh, I've probably done it. And those aren't even bad ones. Like mm. most of my competitors and friends of ACLs, MCLs, um, you know, internal bleeding, like injuries that were much more uh, severe and like season or career uh, 
ending. And so I was lucky to kind of just walk away before that, that really kind of happened to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a wild ride for sure. And it, it, it looks like I, I am not a winter sport athlete at all. I grew up as an ocean lifeguard. I was very much like a summer sport athlete. Um, but it certainly looks like it can be very, very hard on the body, but also you, you mentioned that you had an opportunity or you had a, a chance to go to the 2014 Olympics. And uh, I'm guessing that there was some sort of trial period. And then you said that you, you didn't make the Olympics that year. Um, what, what, what went down there? What was going on in 2014? Yeah. So uh, basically like the, the backstory. So I got onto the junior national team at 17 and it was that, that year that they actually formulated the whole national team program because slope style snowboarding wasn't in the Olympics until the 2014 Olympics was actually its debut, similar to how we see skateboarding making its debut um, over this past summer. And so it was 2011. I was out in Whistler. I just, I actually graduated high school semester early so that I could work and save up to go to the snowboard camp. And when I was there, all the best snowboarders from the world were there and they announced that snowboarding was going to get into the Olympics for 2014. So super exciting. Um, of course I was young, so I was like, okay, well, is 2014 realistic or is it 2018 at that time? Like I wanted snowboarding to be my entire life. And so I was like, you know, 2018, 2022, like that's all going to be my game. Um, as I started competing, I competed at the junior world championships, uh, that season, I got the best Canadian female result at that event. I think I came oh. ninth in the world. So that was a really good event for me. Um, and then all of a sudden the injury started adding up. And so, um, I started getting into world cup events, which is how you kind of accumulate the points to qualify for the Olympics. And, uh, unfortunately my first world cup event, I had a really bad injury. I basically exploded the fat pad of in my heel and, um, still try to push through, uh, my doctor actually didn't think I would ever be able to jump again or run or do anything. And luckily after a whole summer of squatting pretty heavy and doing physio every single day, um, it, it actually got better and it improved, but unfortunately just the timing for the 2014 Olympics wasn't quite right. And so, um, we had actually only opened up two, uh, women's spots for the Olympics. Meanwhile, the men had opened up four. And so there's one spot pretty locked down with one of the top riders. She was like an X games medalist. And we all knew she had that one spot. And the second spot was kind of up for grabs. And it was based on like, what are your, your best uh, results, your best average results over these world cups. So that was kind of like the Olympic trials in a sense. And that's how our team would get selected. I had like two world cups left in that season, right before the Olympics. So in 2013, 2014, um, and I basically to make up and, and qualify a spot, I would have had to like win them. Mm -hmm. And to put that into perspective, it would have been like winning the Olympics because everyone who's competing there is the same people who go on to, to compete at the Olympics. So I think I got like a 30 something, a 20 something, which in hindsight now I'm like, wow, I was like 20 something in the world at, you know, 20, oh, 20 years old or like, that's not bad. But, um, at that time it was like, you know, it's all or nothing. You, you got to win. And so unfortunately I didn't make the spot. Like I actually still have the contract of the national of the Olympic team because they send anyone who had the potential because the turnover is so quick. It's like one month and then you're on a flight to Russia. So you had to like sign everything, learn about the whole process, plan what you would pack to bring to the Olympics, everything. So that was a hard hit because like I had mentally prepared, um, even though I knew it was a long shot as if I was going to go and, and then kind of falling short. And so immediately I bounced back. I was like, okay, 2018 Olympics. It is one of my best friends made the 2014 team. So I got to see her and be inspired. Um, but then I kind of just had never dealt with that experience of failure and the mindset that had led up to me 
um, kind of dealing with some stuff with mental health and with injuries and all these things. And so when the 2015, uh, season started, all of a sudden I had this like wave of, I don't want to do this anymore. And I couldn't figure out what that was and I couldn't shake it. And I kind of fell into a depression when I was like living the life I had of my dreams and realizing, uh, it's, it's not what I want to do anymore. And so at the end of the season, I made a difficult decision to walk away. I kind of had made it earlier in the season, but decided like, I need to go all in on this season and make sure, you know, this is the right decision for me. Cause I've given my whole life to the sport. I can't just, you know, see a piece out. Um, and so, yeah, I, I gave it my all that season. I had good results at nationals and then made the decision to, uh, to walk away. And it was, it was really hard, especially watching the 2018 Olympics and seeing people who were my level and my roommates and things actually win medals at the Olympics and thinking, wow, like, did I make the right decision or not? But, um, now I definitely think I did. Yeah. Uh, that's, thank you for, for sharing that, you know, that, that's a lot of, there's a lot that's going on there, you know, not only with being, you know, a younger athlete in an extremely competitive field, you have this opportunity to go to, uh, the Olympics, which is a lifelong dream for, most athletes in those kinds of sports where the Olympics is the pinnacle of performance and to have to deal with that at a young age. Um, what was that like? And how, how did you unpack all of that? Because I would imagine that there was a lot of things that might not have hit you either right away or, you know, over time it could have come kind of come around and you also made a jump right into competitive CrossFit at the same time. So I'm interested to hear what kind of lessons did you learn from that? Yeah, I've been grateful. Like uh, this past year, I was able to do a TED talk and it was about failure, what I learned from not making the Olympics. And um, it was all about that, that journey of what I learned. And so a big thing was I thought leaving the sport would be you know, what fixed my mental health. But of course, like many athletes, and I've spoken to a lot of athletes from NFL, whatever sport, I fell into a deep depression when I left my sport, it got much, much worse. It was like the darkest summer of my life. And I was lucky to have therapy and self-work and a lot of things and support a family that really like helped me out of that. But I went from like someone who had all these goals of the future. And then when I left the sport, all of a sudden I was like, who am I? Even though I, I already had my business started, I already had started like a thing in CrossFit. I already had these plans. And all of a sudden I was like, I have no future. Like, what am I going to do? I have no idea. Uh, I've peaked in life. Like what I, no one cares about me anymore. I'm not that snowboarder. Um, it was really hard because especially at that time, my, basically all my life had spent with this goal of going to the Olympics. I was three years old when I told my parents I wanted to go to the Olympics. And then I chose the sport of snowboarding. And so all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, like looking back, I spent my whole life on this one goal and I, I failed. Like, who am I? Like, what about those kids who made fun of me in school for saying I had this goal and now I can't prove them wrong. And all these, these thoughts came to mind. And I think one thing is, is time. Time really does heal, especially because you gain so much perspective. Like now I'm 27 and I can look back and think, okay, I've spent actually I've spent more time outside of the national team snowboarding than I have in it. But when I was in just coming out of it, I've spent such a bigger chunk of my lifetime percentage wise at that age in snowboarding than I had outside of it. Right. And so time was a big thing. Um, therapy and, and doing stuff like that was, was obviously a, a big thing, but it was also um, one of the biggest things was that I had kind of lost the, the positive mindset or the growth mindset that I had as a child um, when I got into snowboarding, when it became more of a job. And so I went from loving snowboarding, wanting to do it for the rest of my life, even if people paid me or not, 
to like it becoming this job that I base my entire worth around. And mm-hmm. if I didn't, you know, land a certain trick on a certain day, then I was unworthy or I wasn't good enough or all these things. And so I was my biggest critic. It wasn't other people, but it was every day I would beat myself up if I didn't land a certain trick, which was a result-based goal, right? Like you can't control if you're going to learn a certain trick faster than someone else, or if you're going to land this thing. It's like, you can't go into the, the, to go squat every day and say, I'm going to PR at this, but that's how I approach snowboarding. I need to PR my best trick every single day. If I want to progress fast enough to be the best in the world. Mm. And so now I I've really worked on the effort mindset and really focusing on just what can I control and what can I put in every day? And I'm grateful for CrossFit for helping me with that, but it also, going diving, like you said, straight into CrossFit from snowboarding also kind of allowed me to not deal with some things. Like I dealt with the emotional side, the side outside of sport, but I still went with my identity as an athlete. Right. And so I dove from that one competitive sport to all the, my snowboard friends thinking, Oh, Nat's really strong. She's good at CrossFit. So she just left snowboarding because she knows she can be a pro at CrossFit. Right. So I never had to really address the fact that it was actually due to the things I was going through mentally and emotionally and with injuries and all these things. And so it's, it's actually been the past two years that I've, I've been able to uncover some things that I thought I was like, wow, I've matured so much since snowboarding, but there's actually still a lot of things I had to work on. And I'm sure I'll still always be working on based on the fact that I had my injury and then had to take time off CrossFit as well. And I realized what are my true intentions behind competing in this sport? Was it to also still prove people wrong and do this? And so now I'm in a headspace where I'm really itching to come back and compete with this better mindset. Cause I'm like, you know, these two years wasted with misdiagnosis and whatever, it's not wasted at all because I've been able to have two years working on a, such a most important mindset where if I made the games or whatever it was in 2019, or I don't think I would have sustained high performance because I would have fallen into the same burnout trap that I did in snowboarding. So I'm really grateful for what I've, what I'm learning. And I'm sure I'm 80 years when I'm 80 years old, I'll still be learning and unpacking some of those things. Well, that's an incredible amount of perspective to have. And uh, you know, I, you could, you could definitely look at that, uh, situation and, and either self-reflect on it or somebody who's an outside observer and say, well, you know, that jump from competitive snowboarding directly into competitive CrossFit, you're kind of just trading one thing for another, but it's really interesting to me, you know, in thinking about what I know about competitive fitness and CrossFit in particular, and, you know, what I can, I think I can assume about competitive snowboarding is that there are a very small amount of people probably in both of those sports that can actually make that sport their sole pursuit, their sole living, their sole focus, their sole identity, and be very successful with it. And I'm sure that obviously there's some personal balancing that they have to do. But when you think about people like Matt Frazier or Rich Froning or, you know, these other people who have gone out there and done incredible world-class types of things over and over and over and over again, and really maximize their potential in the sport. And the success has brought them a lot of opportunities and sponsorships and money and fulfillment and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot, a big portion of their identity that's attached to fitness, but kind of necessarily and justifiably. So I kind of, as you go down the ladder of, I guess, I don't want to say competency of athlete, but you know, where you go, Hey, is this really a path that you could pursue and this be the only thing that you ever really attach your identity to, at least for a period of time, it becomes a lot less realistic and, and like a lot more 
there's a lot more risk in that because, you know, the, the reality of the situation is there's not many people that make it as a competitive CrossFit athlete where it's the only thing that they can really do and their sole focus. And I'm guessing snowboarding is, is pretty similar. So what would your advice to athletes be who are wrestling with this idea in their head where they're like, I love this sport. I love the competition and I'm pouring so much time and energy and effort into it. But on the other end, sometimes there's not the type of either like payout, whether or not it's even emotionally or financially or socially, there's a, you're putting in a lot and maybe not getting as much out of it. I'm not saying that there's not an opportunity to gain a tremendous amount of fitness and form great relationships, but you can get fucking really wrapped up in this stuff. Oh yeah. No, a hundred percent. And, uh, you see it, you see it all the time, especially, well, remember when they took away regionals, people went nuts. broke people's hearts, right? Yeah. Like even for me, I was like, Oh, I like my goal is regionals. And then all of a sudden I had to really quickly reframe that of like, okay, sanctionals, like what's the sanctional I can do? What, where can I compete? Like, how can I make that? Cause now obviously regionals isn't a thing, but like for some people they completely quit the sport. And like, I was even involved in marketing side of some of the brands involved in the sport. And they were seeing mm. such a drop off of customers because their customer base were these athletes who want to make it their profession, but they're like the bubble athletes. So they're not quite sponsored and getting all their stuff for free, but they're, they're paying for their supplements and all these things, but they're, yeah, they, those people all dropped off like that, like middle tier, like kind of like said, see you later. And I think it kind of proved like who's doing it for the love of the game and who is doing it to like prove something to, mm. to somebody else outside of themselves. And so um, to me, it's like, if, if you want to spend that time just completely dedicating to your, yourself to a sport with the small, small, small chance that it's actually going to pay off externally with the reward of monetary, um, a career, whatever it is, you have to make sure that you love it. And if you love that process and you're okay, like not making ends meet quite yet or whatever it is in the mix, and you're okay with at the end of the day, if you don't make it, you know, you gave it your all and that's what matters to you, then I think go for it. Like that's fine. But if you are completely basing your time spent in that sport as like, I need to do this because this is, I needs to pay me or it needs to turn out into this, or uh, it's cause I need to prove this to somebody else. It, sometimes it can pay off. For example, for some athletes who do then make it, they can say they had that mindset when they do make it, but think about all the people that it wrecks in the process mm. when they had that mindset and then didn't make it. So I think I think it really does depend on, on your mindset because, you know, if you're happy and you're, you're going to be happy, even if you don't make it, cause you really enjoy that process and what you learned about yourself and the ride, then go for it, go all in and like send it. But if you're doing it for the wrong reasons and then you're falling short, that's like a recipe for disaster in, in my mind and in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, this idea of, um, you know, the kind of uh, amateur athlete, you know, in particular in CrossFit is really interesting to me because I, there are a lot of people who can there's a portion of people who can balance it really well and do it for the love of the sport and have a realistic expectation. And they know that they have responsibilities outside and maybe they've had some difficult conversations with loved ones or significant others where they go, Hey, listen, I'm going to give this a run for X number of either years or months or whatever, and, and see what happens. And, you know, uh, I like your support, but there's also a portion of the population where I look at and they go, I, I, I know that they are pouring years into this thing that maybe there's a lot of other things that they are either sacrificing or opportunities that they're losing or relationships that they're foregoing. And again, it's not my 
time in my relationships, but I, it does, it's hard for me to listen sometimes on the other end when I hear athletes and coaches mostly who have the dream of being athletes talk to me about, you know, I wanted to go to the games and I spent so much time and effort and energy in doing that. And I feel like now I'm behind the eight ball because I, I didn't recognize that it wasn't going to come for me quickly enough. You know, you spend five or six or seven years doing something and there's a lot of time in there where you could have been doing other things that might have been lost. Again, not discouraging anybody from going and chasing their dreams, but just having an attachment to reality about what what your actual goals are, what the realities of the situation are, and then also making sure that it's responsible to the rest of your life and not just, you know, to the destruction of it. That's, that's such a good point. I mean, like something I've been wrestling with, like just in my head lately is like, what if I didn't get injured? And like, what would have happened? Because I feel like I was not even close to my potential when I was competing at the sanctional level, like not even close. I was managing so much things from work and business and mental health stuff still. And, and all these things while I was trying to compete. And I was like, just knowing like some of the, the natural abilities I had, even as a kid in sport and these things, I was like, I wasn't even close to, to the potential. So I was like, what if I did keep going? And so then I think, oh, now I'm 27. Is that old? Is that too old to like get back in the game and all these things. And I think about all the different things I've done in my twenties. I've like, like when you said in my bio, like it's crazy to me when people read that out. Cause I'm like, wow, I've done so many different things. And I'm so grateful to have these tastes of different things. And if all I had done was, you know, never had taken the time off because of my injury or never had like explored different things while I was still pursuing CrossFit. I think I would have been pretty upset if, for example, it panned out and I didn't make the games or whatever happened because all I did was just do that thing. And I am also someone who's curious about other things. Yeah. So I've been able to explore these things. And now I don't look at the last two years as anything wasted with my injury. I'm like, we're going to get it sorted out. And if I can compete again, I'm going to be really happy because I like still feel I have potential and I have the energy to want to pursue that just to see in my twenties and perhaps my early thirties, how far I can go with my fitness. As I know, obviously your fitness starts as you get older, it's not going to peak as much. And that doesn't even, that's outside of competing. I just want to see how far I can push my, my fitness. Cause I really enjoy it. And I really enjoy doing all these different things and mm. challenging myself physically and mentally through the physical challenge. But um, I think that like a lot of people ex is exactly, they pour everything and then they, they didn't make it. And they're like, why did I do all this? But they don't realize like there is the mindset that you can take about it, where you do explore these different things. Like it takes everything, but it, it, if you don't have the balance there, you're not going to make it. And so for me, balance is also pursuing these other things. Cause I know I will burn out of competing in CrossFit or whatever, if I'm not also like having fun snowboarding on the weekend or doing this and this. And if I can't make it because I'm doing those things and so be it, like my yeah. goal is to, is to be happy and push myself as much as I can, but that involves balance for me and for other people. Sometimes they, they forget about that stuff, but I think it, it is different for everybody. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, it's so critically important to, to have a, a level of balance, no matter where you are in that spectrum of, uh, sport enthusiast. Let's just talk about the person who comes into the gym and maybe starts to get addicted to this type of training all the way through, you know, amateur regional type of sanctional athlete, let's call that in the middle. And then all the way up to the top performers at the games, there's different levels of balance that all of those people need to find. And it's relative to them. I would, 
I would say that as you get closer towards the top performers, their balance is probably a little bit skewed. They're probably pouring much more into their pursuit because it's a much bigger aspect of their life. But balance right. extremely important. You mentioned something earlier, Natalie, which I thought was really interesting, was this idea of an effort mindset and and not being so result oriented in the things that you pursue. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Because that's huge for me. I'm a huge believer in effort. Yeah. So, well, like I said, with my snowboarding, like every day was a failed day. If I didn't land these tricks that were on my list. And then at the end of the season, I'm like, I didn't learn all these tricks. I said, I wanted to learn. But when I look in reflection, I'm like, did I give my all every day? Did I show up and train six hours on snow every single day and then go to the gym for two hours and all these things? Yes, I did. Like, why can't I not be proud of that? Because I can't control if I'm going to land the trick that certain day or if the weather is bad or whatever it is, it's going to affect that result, but I can control my effort. And so if I tie my happiness and my sense of fulfillment into the effort that I put in, then I can control that. Um, and so that's been a big thing for me is like in business and everything, like instead of saying, oh, I need to get, I don't know, let's say some people in business, like I need to get 10 new clients a week or something. Um, if they, if that's their rate, like metric for happiness and success, that is pretty hard because how do you control that exactly? But if you break it down, I need to make 20 cold calls a day or whatever, like in my business, I don't do that, but I'm just thinking through like people in the corporate life. Mm if you break it down and keep breaking it down into those daily habits, then as long as you are executing those daily habits with your top effort each and every day, you cannot, you what, what are you going to be upset about? Like the result might not be where it's at, but you can always reevaluate and reevaluate those daily habits and, and, you know, maybe change them up if they're not leading to that end goal, but it's just such a better way to make sure that you're waking up every day, still motivated to get after the things you want to do and not leave, you know, go to bed at night every day. Like, Oh, I just didn't do this or you get that win and then you're high and you're just high and low and high and low. So I think just focusing on the effort that you put in every day and those daily habits is just the better way when it comes to sustainable success, but most importantly, sustainable happiness. Absolutely critical. You know, one of the things that I think people tend to forget about a result oriented mindset, it can be really easy and it's very alluring to put goals on your board that are result oriented. And there is power to that. There is some power to looking at something and going, I want that. And I'm going to work my hardest to get that. But you, it, it can also be extremely devastating to hinge all of your happiness and all of your self-worth on the result. Because even if you achieve the result, a lot of times what happens is that you don't end up being happy with the result. You end up wanting the next thing that's on top of that. So I see this all the time, especially in, in myself, you know, where I see it is in, um, I, I used to place a lot of self-worth around the amount of money that I made. And I still struggle with that, just to be completely honest with anybody who's listening. But here's what the fucked up part about this is you have a number in your head. Once you get to that number, you're never happy with that number. You go, oh, I got to X, but now I can't wait to get to Y. I can't believe I'm not doing Y. And it, it just is always another letdown. You're always going, all right, there's something else that I have to chase and I'm not happy with where I'm at right now, as opposed to embracing the present and embracing the process and being happy with where you're at and understanding that there's growth involved, but not being so tied to the result in a way that that's the only thing 
that you're thinking about and the only thing that will make you a success or a failure. Because even if you achieve it, you're probably not going to be happy. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, the amount of, you know, podcasts I've listened to about that and how people compare, you know, there's the studies on you make a certain amount, you move to a different neighborhood. Now you're comparing against your neighbor. It's always more, more, more. And then the study actually shows that you're not happier as you make more. And so uh, I've been listening to some neuroscience podcasts lately, and it's so cool to hear the science behind why that is and like how just dopamine and serotonin works in our brain and how that there's actual science behind having that effort focus mindset and how, if you're making the right, you know, you're doing the right habits, you're putting that effort in every single day. If you take the time to just be like, I'm doing a good job. Like I'm, I'm happy with what I'm doing right now. There's like neurochemicals get released that actually buffer the stress of the effort that you're putting in and make it easier to keep doing that day after day, rather than just always thinking, Oh, I'm not there yet. I'm not at this yet. I'm, I'm, Oh, I got here, but now it's this next thing. And that's, I think about that a lot in sports because I'm, you know, as much as this mindset has changed for me, I'm still one of the most competitive people that, that you'll meet, but that doesn't, you know, mean that if I lose here, sure, I hate losing, but I'm still just always going to be happy with that effort that I put in. It's not going to wreck, you know, my whole identity and make me feel like I'm a horrible person because I lost. Mm. And so I really enjoyed like Scott Pancheck and what he said about his mindset this past year going into the games. And how, you know, he's come fourth place so many times and he spent so much of his life just thinking, oh my God, like I need to win. I need to get on the podium. Like this isn't enough. And then realizing like he has had such an incredibly consistent season and, um, and just all the work he's put in and just focusing on, okay, you know what, just the effort. Like, I don't need to go in here. Like, of course you want to win. Everyone wants to win. You're not competing in sports, not wanting to get that gold medal or stand at the top of the podium. But there's a difference between, you know, sometimes you see like an Annie Thor's daughter where that third place meant more to her than I think Tia's first place did. Like there's, you see that Annie's first place, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, to me, I'm like, I want to be that person. Like, of course I want to win at whatever I'm doing, but I want to be the person who, even if I come in a, in a lower place, I'm happy. And I saw a video yesterday of this marathon runner. And she was, uh, I'm trying to, she's older. She was like a, she's a science teacher at school and all these things. She came 28th at the Olympics and oh, wow. in marathon, I think they have 40 some athletes. She started crying of such pure happiness for coming 28th place, which most people would think, you know, 28th place, like why it, like, we just think about the podium. Right. And she had such a good perspective and it was only her third ever marathon. And she was saying how much this means to her. And they're like, what if you found running when you were younger? Like you had all this potential, imagine how good you would be. And she said, no, I wasn't in a good mindset. I would have made it an addiction. I would have, you know, ran for the wrong reasons. I would have burnt out. She's like, I'm glad I found running right at the right time. And I'm just glad, you know, to be here and come 28th. And I was like, I love that. That is yeah. so cool. And that 28th probably meant more to her again than the person who came bronze, who came fourth, who came fifth. Um, and so that's the mindset I'm trying to embrace. And I don't think it can, I don't think it takes away anything from your competitiveness or wanting to still be the best. Yeah, no, that those are really cool examples. And, you know, Scott Pancheck, aside from being one of the fittest human beings to probably have ever lived on, let's be honest, uh, he is also one of the nicest human beings uh, who I've ever met in the sport of, of CrossFit and functional training. Um, and, you know, you can't really argue that besides Rich and Matt and Tia, Scott Pancheck is probably the most consistent top performer next on the list there. I mean, there's not many other people. and But I could definitely see how Scott's thirds and fourth places all those years, if if you don't have the right perspective on that, and I'm sure that it took a lot of 
I, I can't assume, but if that were me, I'm sure it would take a lot of parsing through a lot of either self-doubt or thinking about why can't I just get over the hump or can I ever just win? Can I ever just be the person on top of the podium? But to look back and, and, you know, when you look at Scott's accomplishments, uh, it, it's unbelievable what he's been able to do. And, you know, obviously if there's ever a hall of fame, he's one of the first people to go in. Um, you know, Natalie, one thing that I'm really interested in is this idea of kind of daily, daily habit and routine and how those help not only uh, keep me grounded and, and focused on process and able to really be regimented about moving myself along, uh, but also just how it generally is a, a habit or habits and routines are things that top performers all over the world find themselves getting involved in and doing. I want to know a little bit about what do you do on a daily basis to keep yourself in this high performance mindset? Cause you are a very competitive person. You're going a lot of different directions and you're going full speed in those directions. What keeps you focused? Yeah. So for me, like controlling the bookends of my day is really important mm -hmm. because there's just so many, there's so many different things and so many different, like even just mindsets I need to embrace during the day, because there's like the time I spend training, but then there's a the time I spend like creating videos, which is a very creative mindset and very different than the linear focus of training. Um, and then there's like, okay, sometimes I have to do admin tasks in my business. And then other times I have to be, um, more creative. And so for me, it's like, okay, well, at least in the mornings and the nights, if I can like usually stick to the same things and do some of those important things. And, um, then I get those things done and I get at least started and ended in, in the right state and make sure that my sleep is good and all those things. So a big one for me is, you know, getting enough sleep, making sure I get it's, I usually get eight hours of sleep, maybe, maybe just under that, if anything, but sometimes I try to catch up and get nine. So usually between seven and a half, eight and a half hours of sleep. Um, that's really important for me. I wake up like I'm not like a 4am waking waker upper by any means, but I try to wake up at a decent time that I can spend at least some time by myself in the morning or like before I have to go, go, go and check emails and do things like that or, or start training. So, um, you know, getting a, a walk in the morning, obviously I have a dog, so that makes it really easy. I know a lot of people took up walking over the pandemic, which um, my family definitely did, but myself with a dog, obviously that was a daily exercise anyways. Huge believer in the power of walking, by the way, not only for the physical benefits but the mental clarity and just the obvious human, uh, potential. And just, that's what we're made to do as bipedals we're made to walk. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I think like, yeah, humans are made to walk and walk long distances too. Mm. And not that I go for super long walks. Um, usually they're not too long, but I try to also get, you know, rain or shine, like just light exposure early in the day. I know that's really important for your circadian rhythm and, um, giving you energy throughout the day, making sure you're sleepy at the right times and all these things. So, um, that's been really big for me. I've noticed the improvement on my mental health just by making sure I get sunlight first thing. Cause I know even if I sleep in and then I check my phone, get on the computer and I've never seen that sunlight, or even if it's cloudy, just any light exposure, um, there's, I definitely notice a big difference. So yeah, that's a big one. Um, and then, yeah, just trying to have like a little bit of slow time in the morning. Cause then sometimes in the day I get overwhelmed. I'm like training, eat, create this video, go back to do my second session, stretch, mobilize this, this it's like running back and forth. So making sure I do that, um, in the, in the winter, I had a lot more time in the mornings I found. Um, and so I would have like a really lengthy meditation practice and, um, do some stretching and breath work and cold shower. I had like a whole, uh, long routine 
And then as things have gotten a little bit busier with the summer, now it's like, make sure I get the walk, make sure I, I, you know, I spend some time stretching and sometimes I'll do breath work in the morning, but if I miss it, I usually do a breath work after training kind of like a meditation just to bring myself down after training, especially if I'm doing two sessions, I find that really helpful. So I don't just crash. I kind of bring myself down, recover, and then I'm good for the next session and then try to do uh, same thing at night. Uh, it's been easy. Cause my, my, like I've always worked from home and, um, and just like, you know, spent my time training and creating. And then my boyfriend now he's been working a nine to five, uh, since we moved to our new house. And so that's actually been helpful because whenever he comes home, <laughs> usually it's like six, then I'm like, let me try to make sure I'm done my stuff by then. Cause I'm the person who will be on my laptop until I go to sleep and I'll start again in the morning if, if, if I can. And so living with him now over the past seven months has actually been a really big game changer because now I'm like, if I want to spend time with him, it's going to have to be in the evening. So let me make sure that like, by the time we're going to have dinner, I'm like done. So like I've created my stuff, I'm done my training. Um, I still do some of my physio exercises and my stretches sometimes at night while we're watching TV. Cause I, I am also, I don't like to just sit there. Like he'll, he'll be sitting on the couch and I'm like, I need to, I pull up the NC fit <laughs> mat and I do my stretches. I do that kind of stuff, but just making sure I, I have that time and then, you know, wind down for sleep and, and all those good things. So controlling those ends of the days is, is really important for me. Very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. I have a couple of questions about, about your, uh, content and branding uh, agency in the business that you you started. But I, I want to first ask you about social media just in general, because, you know, I, I've recently come off of a long, uh, I would say, time off from social media is the best way that I could put it. I had an account, but I wasn't active. I never posted. I would just keep in contact with people. But January 1st, I kind of looked around and I looked at what I had been doing for NC fit and my own personal brand. And I was like, man, you gotta, you gotta step it up. This is a hole or a weakness in your game. So long story short, I've been back on since January of 2021, but, um, it can be all consuming. It can be, uh, it can be very, very tough not to get wrapped around the axle of the likes and the comments, the positive ones, but also the negative ones. And, you know, that was something that coming into this, I was trying to balance a little bit better in diving back into social media. It was going to be like, hey, I'm aware of what's going on. I understand that this can be a trap. And I've done an okay job, but not a great job in terms of not getting wrapped up in it. What's your advice to people about social media? You've been somebody who's been very, very active on social media. You obviously have a, uh, like I said, an agency that helps people in terms of their personal brand and content strategies, but how do you not get so wrapped up in it? Yeah. So like uh, one of the services that we do in my businesses, and like we're working right now is we've been working, especially now the college athletes can make money off their name, image, and likeness. Uh, like creating custom programs to teach high school athletes about social media and all these mm. things. So we've partnered with like a lot of recruiting companies in the, in the sports space, just creating like a lot of what we do is education. And the first thing that we start off with, with everybody is the mindset piece. And it's like making sure that like social media is like a tool, but make sure you're using it like that. Like it's not everything and make sure that that's not your foundation. And so, yeah, teaching people the mindset around it of like not chasing the likes and, and these things. But of course, you know, if you do want to grow your social media, you do want to pay attention to some of those things. So you know what content's working, what's not. So it's a very, yeah, it's very hard to like walk that line for sure. And it's something, you know, as over the years, I've definitely gotten better at managing, but it's still always, 
it's always just a thing that it's, it's hard to manage. So one thing for me is making sure that there's separated time from my phone. So like first thing in the morning, I want to make sure like I'm in control, not my phone and the news and all these things. So I try not to like check my social media first thing when I get up, same thing right before I go to sleep. I don't want to have dreams about things that I just read as comments. So, um, that's really important is just creating some separated time. Um, but also like teaching people one is like comparison is a big thing, obviously. And so like, sometimes you might want to block or unfollow people who, even if they have best intentions, you find yourself just getting triggered to compare yourself, but also think of like why that is. Cause I think social media, when you realize you're comparing yourself to others, that can actually teach you a lot about yourself. Like you said, with the money thing, if you see people out there, they're flaunting how much money they make and all these things maybe the problem isn't that they're, you know, on vacation or whatever. And they're posting about that. Maybe the problem is like, what's your mindset about that? Like, why is this triggering me? And so, um, so social media has been a good thing, even for myself for mental reflection and like, why does this bother me? Or why does this person getting a PR bother me? What is that? Like, what is that telling me about my own mindset? And am I really focused on just my effort? Or am I like, Oh, like they're getting ahead while I'm injured or whatever it is. So you can confront some of those things, but I think the one thing is create some separation because we still have the brains of our ancestors. We're not built to candle social media and all these things all day. So understand that even though it is a tool, it is like kind of against our nature to like just be on our phones all the time. So have like some time off if you can. Maybe that's an extended break for some. Maybe it's just turning your phone off at night for others. Maybe it's one day a week um, that you're just less active or whatever it is. Um, and then it's also making sure that whatever you're trying to do, especially if you're using social media to build a brand or share your message or whatever it is, make sure that that message is the foundation. So like, make sure you're focused on like impact rather than hype. So, um, for me, it's like, oh, I want to empower other people, you know, make sure that they're not comparing themselves, but they're feeling confident in themselves. However, they look or they, they are or whatever level they're at. Um, you know, motivation, inspiring stuff. Like that's my main thing. And it's making sure that I'm not switching that up for the algorithm. So like, I understand how social media works. I understand how things might go viral versus other things, uh, how to write captions, how to do things like that. But I don't make that the foundation. It's like, what is my message? And then how can I use those tools to amplify it? But some people, they switch it around. And that's when you see people who make their entire, like they start getting likes because of their booty pics or whatever it is. And they're like, huh, if I want to make money on social media, I just need to post booty pics. So instead of like sticking with that original foundation that was good intention of sharing their progress as an athlete, whatever, instead of just amplifying that, they want to grow faster. So they switch it. And so they make the foundation, the likes and the, mm. the, the shares and the positive comments. And in the end, that stuff doesn't mean anything. Like you're basing your whole foundation then around a rocky foundation, because those things can change again. Like you're not in control of social media. There's going to be a, like TikTok came around and then people are like, Oh, how do I get on this? Um, what if Instagram goes out of business tomorrow? And TikTok is the thing and you've never started it. And people are like, oh my God, I've lost all these followers or whatever it is. If you make that your foundation, it's going to be rocky. So just figuring out, you know, making sure you know who you are, what your mm -hmm. message is and all those things. And then using things, social media as a tool. A lot of people would be lost for an identity if Instagram went under tomorrow. It's scary yeah. to think about. And, you know, I'm probably uh, part of that group a little bit. And sometimes, you know, you, you get wrapped up in it and it becomes a little bit consuming. Um, you know, we're, we're a little close on time here, Natalie, and I want to be respectful of, of your morning and the rest of your day. But I do want to talk just a little bit, if you have a couple of minutes about your 
ideas or advice for people who are out there, whether they're coaches or gym owners or athletes who look at social media and go, Hey, yeah, I, I want to have a voice on there and I want to build a, a personal quote unquote brand on there. You kind of illuminated at least I think what would be one of the things that you would uh, advise those people to do, which would be to focus on what's the main message and, you know, kind of avoid some of the hype and don't chase the likes and the follows. But what's your advice to anybody out there who's looking at social media and they, they want to start building their, their personal brand? Yeah. So, um, yeah, like, like you said, just the first step is like focus on what that message is and who you are and of course who you are changes. And, and so that'll change when, how you're putting yourself out on social media, but like focus on building that foundation first and knowing like, okay, where's my expertise? What, what, like, what do, am I passionate about posting? What am I passionate about sharing? What am I passionate about creating or documenting or whatever it is? Um, you know, for me, it's sports and empowerment and mental health and those things for a coach. Maybe it's like, um, they're really like uh, passionate about gymnastics or really passionate about the mindset part or whatever it is, like find your thing, um, find what makes you unique, find what makes you an expert in your certain realm. Or even if you're not an expert, what makes you one step ahead of that pe- the person you're talking to? Um, and, and think through that, then think about your audience. Who are you trying to reach and how is, how can you cater that message to reach them? And that's what social media is, is that bridge between your message and the people that you want to receive your message. So then it's like, okay, well now let me learn about social media. How does the algorithm work? How do like, how often should I be posting? Which is, you know, that's very different for different people. So it's testing those things out. It's, um, you know, figuring out, how can I improve my message over time? You know, the captions. Um, okay, reels is a big thing now. Like, how can I start creating those, but making sure that it still, you know, aligns with who I am and what I'm trying to get out. So I think it starts with, you know, figuring out that that piece of who you are, figuring out that end goal of who you want to reach and how you want to reach yeah. them. Like, what do you want them to think about emotionally when they see your stuff? What do you, what actions do you want them to take? And then learning how to use social media and content to bridge that gap and reach that, that those people. Very good advice. Very good advice. I think, you know, one of the things, and I'm sure that if we had more time, this would come up is that if you're somebody who's looking at social media and you're going, Oh man, I want to, I want to, I want to be on there and I want people to hear what I have to say. Well, you also have to take the step forward into the arena and you have to put yourself out there and you have to be consistent with putting yourself out there with, that message because does no good if you just keep all of it to yourself and you never go out there on and start posting and start talking about the things you want to talk about. And not just one time, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, you have to put yourself into that position almost every day if you want to um, see that message grow or you want to see your following grow. Um, you have to put yourself in the position to be judged, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, I think over time, like you get, like I've gotten, I mean, last year I posted something on TikTok about women in sport and I woke up to 3000 teenage boys telling me girls suck at sports. So, oh my God. Was, so like I've dealt through all the negative comments. The other day I, I had a viral TikTok, I think it had 200 some thousand views and it was about, um, it was like a picture I found of myself when I first started CrossFit. And I think I had lost like 20 pounds and like at no point have I ever like kind of been overweight I'm someone who's it's easy for me to put on muscle but I was very very small and lean as as a kid 
And at this point, like when I started CrossFit and was managing snowboard training and everyone at CrossFit was like, eat paleo, do this. So I did, and I lost so much weight. I was like lost muscle. I was like smaller. So I had this picture of me on the rower. I think I put it on my Instagram too, but, and then it like kind of transforms into like more recent pictures and like how, as I started eating for performance and eating more and realizing like, I don't need to look a certain way. I don't need to be small and lean to be an athlete. I actually need to fuel and, and be more muscular in these things, you know, uh, then my body transformed and the amount of comments I got saying, Oh, you must do steroids. You must do this. And oh I'm, my like, gosh. I'm like, Oh, I'm like, no, because I'm like, I know CrossFit Games athletes personally who do not do steroids and they're much better and more muscular than me. And you're already telling me that I, that I do steroids. And I'm like, how can I even argue with this? And that actually really bothered me. And so it's like, it's realizing that as you put yourself out in the arena, even with the positive intentions that you have, there are always going to be people who oh are going to judge. And it's all, most often the people who aren't putting themselves in the arena. It's the people with the private accounts, with the no posts, with whatever, they're not putting themselves out there to be judged. And, um, they obviously have some things that they're insecure about if they're thinking like, for example, some guys commenting on my picture saying I do steroids and not believing that it just years of work. Also genetics, um, definitely genetics. The other day I squatted and I haven't squatted heavy in like forever. And I'm pretty sure I could squat over 300 right now. If I had the plates, I don't have enough weight plates. Um, and I was like, that's genetics. Like, that's just and like, the I years of training and in- all the hockey and all the snowboarding and all the CrossFit. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, it's people, I think that's the, that's the judgment. I think CrossFitters get it a lot, for example, um, because people see this new sport and they see how built people are, but then they're also can do endurance and do all these things. And so they don't believe it's possible. And they're like, I've been bodybuilding all my life and I'm not this big. So how is this person? Yeah. And so they say, oh, you have all the telltale signs. You have the shoulders of this. And I'm like, how? people have that shoulders because of their genetics too, or like just how they're built. Like, or is someone, I saw someone who posted how vascular they were. And so everyone commented that they were on drugs and that kid's like, my dad is vascular. My whole family is super vascular. And it just, people will always try to try to drag you down. And so if you're like a coach or an athlete and you're trying to put yourself out there more, just understand that's going to happen and understand it's human nature. It's like, it's obviously them having some insecurity that they're portraying on you and just let it be like, yeah. I try not to even respond. How am I going to argue? Like they're no, they're not going to believe me. You they can't. don't know my intentions. Right. You can't, uh, it's a wicked and wild world out there, which is unfortunate, but you know, there are, like you said, a lot of people out there who have a lot of things going on that they're probably unhappy about in their own life that compel them to negatively comment or say hurtful things to somebody who's putting themselves out there in a positive way. You can't argue with those people. There's no arguing. You just dig yourself a deeper hole or you get wrapped up in the back and forth. Whenever somebody asks a genuine question, I try to respond, but there have been some comments that go up there where I'm just like, I can't believe this would ever come out of anybody's mouth. It's wild. Um, yeah, it, it is crazy. And I think yeah. it's been exasperated over this past year. Like a lot of people are in oh, negative spaces, right? Of so of course. They're, they're sharing that. And like, I've posted some positive, really positive videos about like habits and stuff. And people have commented, like, I hate those type of people. And I was like, I understand. Like, if I'm, if, when I was depressed and anxious, right. And I was in that state, I looked at things, some things the same way when I was like, Oh, why is this person so happy? And why is this? And so like, I totally relate. Like I understand and it's taken a lot of work to like not compare myself and not judge other people. But one of the things that has helped me a lot with not judging other people 
putting myself out there to be judged more often. So I think as you put yourself out there to be judged more often by others, you start judging other people much less. I saw girls, teenage girls the other day while I was running sprints, uh, filming some TikToks. And I thought as a kid, I would have been like, what are you doing dancing in front of the camera? Now I'm like, I love this. They're not getting into any trouble. They're having fun. They're creating something. Who am I to judge? I create stuff too. I create my workouts. I'm filming it. Um, so like all the, all the best to you. And I'm like, how cool is it that like, as I put myself out there more, anyone else who's doing that with their own passions, their own self, you judge less, which is why I just think the world would be a better place if people are given the emotional freedom to pursue their passions and put themselves out there. And we judge other people less for doing it. That's a great way to, I think, end this conversation because I could keep going in this aspect for another hour. Uh, I would definitely like to have you back on and talk more about what you do at 93 Agency and also how your perspective on mental health and mental health advocacy has played into social media and the content strategies that you have personally, but also for your for your company and, and uh, uh, the, the agency brand. So I'm excited, Natalie. Natalie, how about where can my listeners find out more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, I think my Instagram is probably the best place to go, which is just at Natalie Allport. Um, I have a website too, which is the same thing, just my name, uh, natalieallport.com. Um, but yeah, my Instagram should have links to everything. So that's probably the best place. Very cool. And what's one thing, let's end on a really positive note. What's one thing you're super excited about today? I am really excited about, I got new running shoes and I've been running every day for oh, yeah. day 19. Yeah. And I, um, I just got a new Garmin watch. So uh, I wear a whoop band, but, um, I'm trying just the watch just to actually know my paces. And so I was thinking about going to the track and doing a mile just to see where I'm at compared to like the mile when I was like at my peak in CrossFit. Um, yeah, just to see so that like after this month is over and I start just getting back to like more like three times a week track sessions rather than every day. And I actually start doing like some harder workouts. Cause obviously I'm not doing super hard workouts if I'm doing it every single day plus NC mm. fit, uh, programming and everything. Um, yeah, I'm excited just to see, and maybe just push a little bit as long. It looks like it might thunderstorm. So I'm hoping not, but if I get the chance, I, uh, yeah, I'm just really excited to check out this track and use this new watch and play around. Oh, I'm fired up. The mile is such a, can be such a grueling run, but I am fired up that you're fired up about that. Heck yeah. Well, Natalie, it was great to catch up with you this morning. Hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. Have a great rest of your day. Awesome. Yeah, you too. Hello, friends. MDV here. Thank you for listening to the Intro with MDV podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for weekly downloads wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember, we have a new episode coming to you every Tuesday. And if you have time and five stars to spare, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. If you're looking for more out of me, MDV, you can find me on Instagram at MDV underscore FIT. Until next time, friends, let's go.